1: according to the essenes the age is almost over the age of grace according to the essenes we are coming to the very end of this age and we'll see the coming of jesus christ in the clouds Now, we don't know very much about the Essenes. Most of the history we have about the Jewish people during the day of Jesus is found by looking at what the Pharisees have said. But there was a division between the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the Essenes. The Essenes would not allow themselves to be corrupted by Syria, by other Powers they would not bend, they stood by biblical revelation, and their calendar has been absolutely accurate. They predicted the coming of jesus when he when he came. They told what Jesus would do at the cross, he would be an atonement, an atoning sacrifice for the Jewish people and the Gentiles, that he would be resurrected and that the end of that age of Torah would come about when the temple was destroyed and the Romans sacked Jerusalem. But it doesn't stop there. The the Essenes also, from from whom many of us believe John the Baptist dwelt as a child and was educated in their midst in the desert. They predicted that at the end of the age of grace, Jesus would come in the clouds of glory. The end of the age of grace, they said, was 2025. 2025. We're in 2022. Basically, two and a half years. Now, I'm not setting a date and saying that's when Jesus is coming. I'm saying that the Essenes said that that was the beginning of of a new age. Now, when during that age does Jesus come? We don't know. I suspect it will be much sooner than any of us can even begin to imagine. We see every fulfillment of prophecy necessary for Jesus to come. There is nothing left that needs to be done before Messiah appears and takes his people into heaven. Now, when I consider that, I then immediately was drawn in my heart to go to the book of Revelation once more and to look at the things that Jesus said to us That were necessary for us to begin the full preparation for Jesus to come. Now, you know, we're looking at the very possible and probable nuclear war. We're looking at pestilence. Monkeypox is just the latest one being released by the government. I don't believe it's accidental any more than I believe the Omicron was by accident. I think they were deliberate releases. I think we're looking at an agenda of eugenics, the destruction of mankind. We see gas prices today over $7 in California. Everywhere around the country, the gas prices are quickly going up. Here in Washington D.C., gas prices are somewhere around the 4.59 price. It depends on where you go and what station you go to. Food shortages are coming. Famine. If you look at Matthew 24, it was famine, pestilence, wars and rumors of wars. Death and destruction, all of that has happened and is happening even now while I speak with you. I don't want to be a time setter. I'm not. I don't want to be an alarmist. I'm not. But I'm telling you very frankly and very honestly, the scenes have said that 2025 marks the end of the age of grace and the beginning of a new age that will be marked by the coming of Jesus in the clouds of glory. We don't have much time. And he could come at any moment. He is not confined to our understandings. Even before this broadcast is finished, Jesus could crack the sky open and take his people home. Now we have a very basic problem that we're facing. I want to share with you, yesterday at the National Prayer Chapel, I spoke about doing what Jesus has called us to do, Not based on information, but based instead on a passionate love for Jesus Christ. Yes, there is information, but that is not what saves us. And one person after the service wrote this to me. He wrote in a text I could be wrong, but I believe the reason we read the Bible, listen to sermons, Meditate on godliness and pray through for discernment on life's issues is so that we can gain revelation, rhema, from God's Spirit, information, for us to apply unto righteous living, transformation. We agree on this, correct? No, we don't agree on that. You are wrong. I do not read my Bible first and foremost, to gain information. I don't listen to sermons. I don't meditate on godliness. I don't pray through for discernment on life's issues so that I can gain revelation, rhema, from God's spirit or information. By the way, rhema is not necessarily information. That I can apply under righteous living or transformation. No, that's not why I do those things. You see, we worship information today. We can Google. We can get all the information we want. Never has there been a time in Earth's history when so much information has been poured down the throats of the population. And now with cell phones and computers and Internet and every form of information, information is exploding in our gold, in our in our earth just as the prophet daniel predicted that just before the coming of jesus information would greatly increase but i want to tell you information does not increase righteousness or you know what the word means innocence so you're listening to pastor ray greenley this is pilgrim's progress i want to tell you why i read the bible why I spend time praying why I listen to godly men as they preach the gospel of Jesus I want to tell you why I wait upon the Lord for rhema words of wisdom it's not so I can have information so I can become righteous that's not why I do those things I want to know Jesus and Him crucified. And you know, the word know in Scripture is not intellectual information. The word know in Scripture means total intimacy. When speaking of a husband and wife, it is their total bedroom intimacy. When speaking about God and Jesus, it is total intimacy of our heart with him. It is oneness with Jesus. It's pouring our heart out to him. It is the passionate love of our heart to seek after his face. And then it is the doing of what that passion moves us to do in behalf of Jesus. Information, please. Information does not bring you passion. Now, it might bring passion for some people, but most people, it's, not going to, it's going to leave you cold. Love is what brings you passion. And love comes not out of the brain, but out of the heart, out of the very spirit of a man or a woman. Now, yes, there's information, but it's not the major focus. It's not where your heart cry is. I read the New Testament and the Old. I pore over the Scriptures to find answers, but not informational answers, even though that's a part. I read the scriptures that I could know and love this man, Jesus who died on Calvary for me. And because of that, because of his great love for me, I walk in his spirit doing what he's called me to do. You know, I, I can't tell you that you have a checklist or should have a checklist and should go through all the things that you know your wife might like. And then that will create love between you. Well, it might cause some upheaval if you don't do some of those things. I do those things. Because it's our home together. I do those things. Take the trash out. Help with the dishes. Help with the cooking and cleaning. Help with deciding what to buy and what not to buy. Deciding what I'd like to eat. What she'd like to eat. Going places. Why? Because we love each other. It flows out of the heart, not out of information. So I want to read this to you. This is Revelation, the first chapter. To the one loving us and having already washed us from our sins by his blood. How could I not love him when he's washed me of the bondage of the devil? When he said, you don't have to serve that dark character anymore, that wicked man. You don't have to serve that person anymore. You're free. You have a new master. Praise God I have a new master. He has made us a royal power, a priesthood to to his God and Father. The glory and power be to him forever and ever. Amen. Pay attention. He is coming in the midst of the clouds. Pay attention because the one you love, the one who set you free, the one who cleansed you from wickedness and sin, the one who took from you that evil inner heart and made you clean and gave you a new birth in Jesus Christ, a supernatural work of grace. We are saved by faith in Jesus. He does the work. He makes us righteous. He doesn't impute his righteousness to us, brother, sister. He makes us righteous. No pretense here. It's not make-believe stuff. It's real. He makes us righteous. says, pay attention. He is coming in the midst of the clouds, and every eye will see him, even the ones who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Oh, I want to see him. I want to look upon his face. I love him. I want him. My heart cries for him. He's coming. And we're right at the end of the age. What if we lived before the flood and we were two and a half years from when the ark would be finished and the flood would come and wipe everyone out. I believe we're two and a half years from the end of this age of grace. And then we're going to enter a new age. And the Essenes point out that As you come to the close end of every age, apostasy is exceedingly great. Look at the apostasy before the flood came and swept them all away. Every wicked thing was being done. Every wicked thing was said. It was violence on every hand. Look at the apostasy that occurred, especially during the 14th. 100 years intertestamental time when the Maccabees rose up. Such apostasy that when Jesus himself came among the Jewish people, they rejected him, their creator. They rejected him. They crucified him. That generation was totally apostate. Yes, some believed and some were waiting for Messiah and some entered into the glory. Praise God. And now we're at the end of this age and look at the apostasy that has happened even in the church as the church has become apostate, loving darkness, cold-hearted, lukewarm, full of apostasy, receiving every perverted thing in our culture. The last several days I've been so overwhelmed by the apostasy of our age, by the apostasy of our government, the wickedness of our leaders and our courts, the corruption on every side. I've been so overwhelmed. I've just wept. It breaks my heart. We live at the end of the age and the apostasy is magnified and technology has caused it to even spread further and wider and faster. You know, when I, was a, when I was a young man, a young boy, eight, nine years old on the farm, there were not many ways I could get in trouble. We didn't live close to a store. We didn't have playboys or hustlers. We didn't have a television we were agrarian. We were raised on a, a farm where we spent the summer working in the garden and swimming in the river, riding our bikes that we pieced together. We couldn't afford to buy one, but we pieced them together from a junkyard. Today, I see little children Carrying cell phones where they have instant access to the internet. Is it any wonder they're so confused about their genders? Every wicked thing has been poured out upon our nation. Every wicked thing has been poured out of Hollywood. Every provision, every perversion is right in their faces. They watch mom and dad fornicate. They watch mom and dad curse and swear and yell at each other, divorce. We live at the end of the age. And as we come to the end of the age, Jesus has some messages for us from the seven churches of Revelation. I believe that these messages apply to every church in every age. Ephesus was the church that St. John raised up. Probably Timothy was, historically we learn, was probably the pastor or the angel of the church of Ephesus. Ephesus. And this is the message. The one holding the seven stars in his right hand, that is the one holding the seven messengers. He's walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, that is the seven churches of Asia. He begins his message. This is the risen Lord, full of authority and power. He says, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. That you cannot put up with evil men. In other words, this is a clean church, doctrinally and in practice. In fact, you put to test the ones declaring themselves to be apostles. But they are not. And you found them to be liars. We have apostles today, and they're simply liars. You have patience and and have endured because of my name. You did not become weary. But I have I have against you that you left your first love. I have something against you, church in Ephesus. You left your first love. Now he gives them three things that they must do. Verse 5, you must remember, you must bring to mind another time when you first came into the knowledge of who I am and what I've done for you. When you first saw the glory that was offered you in a new birth from heaven, this is before you began to institutionalize the church. This is when you gathered together out of deep, compassionate love for one another and deep love for me. Number two, you must repent. You must turn from this information age that you have established where you have lost your passion. You've lost your, your love for me. And you must do the first works. But if not, I am coming to you without delay, and I will remove your lampstand out of the place. If you do not repent, he's saying, I will destroy your institutional church. You have to repent. There has to be a new love in your heart. And you will show me that love by what you do. Well, what could he possibly be talking about? I I read John Wesley on this church at Ephesus. He was very interesting He said, you must must return to the reading of Scripture. You must fast. You must pray. What do you do when you love someone? Well, you want to spend time with them. You want to talk with them. You want to walk with them. You want them with you. You want to be with them. You're not about first cleaning the house. You're not first about washing the car. All of those have their place. But that's not what your heart is about. Your heart is about that one that you love. And you want to be together. You want to be with them. You want to kiss them. You want to embrace them. How do you kiss and embrace someone who's not here with you in the physical? Well, because we do it in the spirit. Remember, Jesus said the Father was looking for worshipers who would worship in spirit and in truth. How do we kiss Jesus? In the spirit by pouring out our longing for him, by pouring out our love for him, by letting our emotions be stirred. How are they stirred? By reading the scriptures and thinking about what he did for us. By focusing on what his plan is for eternity. By beginning to Sense his presence. You know, I'm troubled because many of you listening today would have a very hard time telling me if I ask you the question, and I ask this question of almost everyone, what has Jesus said to you today? Well, I don't know. He hasn't... Jesus doesn't talk to me, pastor. Well, do you know why Jesus doesn't talk to you? Because you're too far away from him. You can't hear him when he speaks. He speaks in a quiet, humble voice. It's an inner voice. Oh, yes, he may speak out loud like we're talking to one another. He has spoken to me in this manner. But he also speaks my inner being. I was struggling this last week with with the distance I was sensing between Jesus and myself. I began to cry out to him and say, I don't want this distance between us. I want intimacy with you. I want your favor, Jesus. Remember when the children of israel were in egypt and the angel was going to pass over the angel of death was going to pass over their homes and over the egyptians and the eldest son was going to die they were told to put the blood on the on the sides and the and the top of the door and they did And the scriptures tell us the Pesach of God covered them. Well, what does the word Pesach mean? The wing of God would cover them. I don't want the wing of government covering me. I don't want the wing of people covering me. I want the wing of Jesus to cover me. I want the Pesach of God. And so I cried out to him and I said, Lord, I need your favor. Very quietly, in my spirit, he answered me. And I know his voice from my voice. If you've listened to the Lord very much, you know the difference between your spirit and the spirit of the living God. And very quietly he said to me, You have my favor. My heart leapt with joy. He just told me I have his favor. That means I'm covered by his Pesach. I'm covered by his wing, like a mother chicken covering her chicks. I have the covering of God. I have the favor of God. I have the love of God. I rejoiced all day. I'm still rejoicing in this. It's been almost a week. I'm saying, Lord, thank you. I sense your favor. I see your favor in the wonderful things you do with me and for me and in me. Thank you, Jesus. I praise his name. All glory, honor, and power belong unto Jesus. Do you have the favor of God today in your life? Do you know that you have the favor of God? He gives three steps. Remember From where you've fallen, remember when you first came to Jesus and the joy that flooded your heart. And if joy did not flood your heart, you haven't been converted yet. You haven't been born from above yet. When you're born from above, such peace and joy fill your heart. You know for the first time you're at home. You know for the first time you're in the presence of somebody who loves you so incredibly. And such peace and joy fill your heart. Have you ever felt that great joy that comes with total surrender to Jesus and total giving over of your heart and your life to Messiah? Do you know that joy? I do. It's the grandest thing in the world to be loved by God to feel that presence, and then to feel your heart just rise up in absolute adoration and praise and glory to the name of Jesus. So you have to remember that time. And then you have to repent and say, Look, I've been so concerned. I've been so involved in getting the information and doing the works. Well, let me go quick. I go to another passage of Scripture. You know this one, but I'll have to... I have to share it with you here. Hmm. You must enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way leading into destruction. So there's a narrow gate to enter. Now he says in verse 21, this is Matthew seven twenty-one. Not everyone saying to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one that keeps on doing the will of my Father in the heavens. Well, what's the will of the Father? That we believe on Jesus Christ. That we be filled with love for Jesus in response to his amazing gift to us. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we we interpreted divine revelation in your name. In your name we cast out demons. In your name we did many deeds of power. Did we not? But then I will plainly assure them, I never recognized you. You must depart from me, the ones working evil deeds, lawless deeds, evil deeds. Depart from me. You see, if our primary concern is to get all the information down, we'll learn how to do wonderful things for Jesus. And and we can go out and get television broadcasts, radio broadcasts build great mega churches, set up feeding programs, have healing services. We can do all kinds of things in the human spirit. And most of the American church today is exceedingly entrepreneurial. Pastors wanting to create new programs and and new possibilities and always reaching for the next big thing that's coming down the road. None of that has anything to do with loving Jesus. It's flesh. One man said 99% of what's going on in the church would continue unabated if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn. Because the church has become a business today. An entrepreneurial business. And people are making good money as pastors. Great educations. Great skill. Great personalities. But they don't love Jesus. I want to tell you today. this this letter to the Ephesians. It cuts me to the heart. Because I have most of my life been very concerned about academics, getting the theology down, learning what the Bible teaches about the dead and the living and the righteous and sinners you know what i really want i want to know jesus In all of his fullness i want to know my lord i don't want to move in my power because i have none dream last night, I was, I was standing, looking out over the ocean, and I suddenly realized that what I was looking at was, was where a man or woman would go as they died out over that Jordan River. as I stood there I was wishing I could cross a loved one was crossing I could see my late wife Jan as she was in a a boat traveling out of out of my view she went to be with Jesus I stood there And then I reached in my pocket to find my billfold. I I didn't have my billfold with me. I checked my pockets, there were no car keys. And it suddenly in my dream dawned on me I have no money, I have no identity, I have no belongings. I don't know where I belong. And I woke up. I began to pray about it. And then the realization came rushing into my heart. I belong to Jesus. I don't need a wallet. I don't need keys. I don't need anything for me. I only need what Jesus will give me to do the work of the gospel. But I have Jesus. And my heart is utterly, totally given over to him. I seek him with all of my heart. I don't want anything but Jesus. Now, is there information about Jesus? Yes. And I I glory in the information I find in the scriptures about my Lord. It tells me about how he treated people. It tells me how he loves me. It tells me what he did for me in wiping away the sin and how I'm free now to give myself utterly into his hands. It tells me how this wicked, evil nature that I was born with is utterly removed by his blood. It tells me I no longer am to walk in sin. I'm to walk righteous and clean. Oh, not mature yet. That'll take time. Some infirmities, yes, but not rebellion and evil doing in my heart. I read this. This is to the church at Ephesus in verse 7. The one having an ear must pay attention to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To the one overcoming, I will give to him to eat from the tree of life that's with me in the paradise of my God. Wait a minute. What am I supposed to overcome? My lack of love for Jesus. My lack of passion for Jesus. Charles Finney was once asked, asked this great evangelist, he was asked, how do you, create passion in your heart for the lost and the dying. He said, that's very simple. You spend some time getting to know them, and you spend some time thinking about what will happen to them if they go to hell, and compassion will begin to rise in your heart. He said, you gain passion based on what you think about. Well, he was right. You can't gin up love and passion for Jesus. But as you think about what he did for you, you sit and meditate on what he did for you and what he's doing now in you. A great love will begin to rise up in your heart and overflow into every portion of of your heart, and mind, and body. But it means you're going to have to give up thinking about a lot of other things. Some of you today are full of thoughts about a vacation. Some of you are full of thoughts about shopping. Some of you are filled with thoughts about your job and, and your spouse. And some of you are full of thoughts about your children and It's not wrong to think about any of this, but if these things take the place of you having time to think about Jesus and to live in his presence, you will not love Jesus. We love what we think about. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? One man I met who said he was a very devout Christian But as I got to know him, I discovered his primary thoughts were about his money and how much money he wanted to make. Another man, his primary thoughts are about his work and how he can be a better entrepreneur and how he can gain more business and how he can make more money. That's what his thoughts are about. Not about his wife, not about his children, About his job his career, his work, his business. Another man I met, his primary thoughts are about the recreation he enjoys. He can hardly wait to get out of work so he can go play his games. I find people thinking about their television shows, about their about their YouTubes, about, about their cell phones looking at their cell phone. I see a person sitting in the midst of church, looking at their cell phones three or four or five times in a short sermon. And I see their children sitting in the sanctuary, not at the National Prayer Chapel, but sitting in some sanctuaries. And I see the the young people playing video games during the sermon. What do they love? Not Jesus. They love their games. They love their shopping. They love their money. They love what they think about. So, can I ask you, what do you spend most of your time thinking about? I'll tell you honestly, my heart and my mind are consumed with thinking about Jesus. Oh, pastor, you're a pastor. You're supposed to think about Jesus. Oh, then I'm the one who's supposed to go to heaven and you're supposed to go to hell? I don't think so. But let's be very clear. You're not going to go to heaven if the majority of your thinking is not about Jesus and his kingdom and how you're serving him, how you're loving him. How you're letting him have his way in your heart and your life. One woman said to me, Pastor, is it, a, is it a sin for me to daydream? I said, Yes, because daydreams are just like the vapor that floats away. Our thinking about Jesus is not daydreaming, it's a very real content-filled desire to be with that perfect one who has loved us with such passion. I mean, if you want to build passion in your heart for Jesus, take time to think about and read the story of what he did on the cross. Read Revelation and read about what he's going to do for you and what he's doing right now as his plans are now coming to a conclusion the age of grace is ending and we're now ending we're now entering in just a very short time two and a half years we're entering into a new age we're headed toward the thousand year millennium we're headed, we're headed toward the judgment We're headed toward the destruction of the earth. I was talking about Noah earlier. What would you have thought if you were two and a half years out from the flood? If I had said to you, if I'd been there, did you know that in two and a half years your world is going to be flooded and you're going to die if you don't go get on that boat? Would you have laughed at me if you'd been screaming as the water was pouring up and down and you were at the door of the ark pounding on it with your hammer saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. You wouldn't think I was crazy then, would you? Well, it's coming again. Jesus is coming. Will he let you in? You recognize Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the ark of safety for you and for me. He's made a place for us. I read this message to the church at Ephesus. I wonder what Timothy thought as he, as he read this message from his father in the faith, one of his fathers in the faith, St. John as he was on the island of Patmos. Timothy was probably martyred before John got back to Ephesus. We're entering a new age. The age of grace is quickly coming to a conclusion. and apostasy is going to grow. It's going to expand in every direction. We're going to see such heinous, wicked, and evil things that we will throw up at their sight. Jesus is coming again. My brother, my sister, Jesus is coming again. God bless you. I love you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. If you would participate with me in covering the cost of this radio broadcast day by day, we're just past halfway there for this month and we're in the last week so we need to see some very large gifts come in go to com, and you can give there online or you can write to me National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 I love you I want to see you love Jesus. God bless
0: you. This is... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn